Welcome back to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode covers what I call the in the weeds details of uh, season one, episode three, the Red Room episode, basically, and the one where they throw the rock at the bottles. I guess there's a few things you could call this episode, but those two scenes, I think, sum up the spirit of it. So in this, we rank the characters, see how they're doing in terms of screen time uh, versus other episodes, and uh, got it almost, you know, like a a uh, like a sports rankings or something. Who's got the most screen time? Who's up? Who's down? Etc. Kind of a fun way, particularly when you look at the illustrated companion that I've linked below. Uh, it, it's a, sort of a fun way to keep track of uh, the narrative momentum in a way. It's not just a sort of a goofy uh, detail. It is interesting to see who the show is focusing on who it's focusing on more, who it's focusing on less, and what that kind of tells us about what the series is. Also going to discuss coffee pie and donuts, how they're featured in this episode, uh, the locations on screen. And again, check out the Illustrated Companion so that you have a visual to go along with all the discussion. Uh, always recommend that below in the show notes. The characters who are introduced in this episode, the three big ones are Jerry, Blackie, and Albert. Four big ones. Jerry, Blackie, Albert, and the man from another place. And that's the name of the little man in the red suit. He's listed that way in the credits. Uh, the man from another place. So again, this idea that this isn't just a dream, but another place that Cooper's communicating with. Those are the big ones. But we also see some random hotel staff people get significant action in the beginning where they're helping Jerry with his bags and he's yelling at them. We see Swabby, the sailor girl of the one-eyed jacks we see uh the, all these other girls the one-eyed jacks crew standing inside and also the girl posing next to the sign and the bartender she gets a little personality here and the new girl who doesn't have any lines but a very very memorable uh moment with with ben there we're introduced to the invitation to love narrator that's the soap opera that shelley's watching this narrator speaks out, each moment brings us an invitation to love. And we're introduced to Albert's men, these two silent guys who stand behind him, almost look like bodyguards, but they're sort of his backup forensic people, I guess, going to assist him. And they've got sunglasses and suits on, and they just stand there kind of officially behind him and don't say anything. And uh, they're not introductions, but we learn the name of the one-armed man and the long-haired man, at least in Cooper's head, that... According to his thought process, they're called Mike and Bob. The characters who meet Cooper in this episode are kind of through a dream, Mike and Bob, and the man from another place, and Laura, the man from another place's cousin, Laura or the man from another place's cousin, I guess, or is she both or is she neither? All four of these characters, quote unquote, meet Cooper in a dream is it just parts of himself meeting himself or something else going on? Characters who meet each other for the first time in this episode are Ben and the new girl, Albert and Harry, and Albert and Lucy. Our first time uh, seeing certain characters together, who have certainly met before in their own lives, but who we haven't seen interact yet, are Ben with Johnny and Sylvia, Audrey with Johnny, Jerry with the hotel staff and all of the horns, the Horn Brothers and Blackie, the bartender, the new girl, and Swabby. Uh, well, the new girl with, you know... Blackie and them interacting with each other basically for the first time that we're seeing. We see Leo with Mike and Bobby. That's new. We've heard them talk about him, but this is the first time they've they've interacted. They've got a great dynamic together there. Uh, the Hayward parents and Audrey share a scene for the first time. Audrey and Donna speak. We we did see them interact in the pilot when Donna, uh, where Audrey's putting out a cigarette in her locker and grabbing her shoes and kind of smiles and Donna kind of laugh. So they've got a little, you know, repartee together. But this is the first time we've seen them speak to each other. 
And we see Ed and Nadine actually sharing space and physically interacting and talking in the same shot as each other. They were in the pilot together, but were obviously the actors were shot separately. So we're getting to see the actors kind of chemistry together here for the first time. And it's great. And Shelley watches Invitation. So the viewer interacts with the show, I guess you could say. Let's rank these characters in terms of screen time. Number 10 is Bobby with about five minutes. If he ever does this to you again, I'll kill him. Number nine is Jerry with about six minutes. We had those Vikings by the horns. Quite a debut for him. Number eight is Lucy with about six minutes. So there's no check next to either of these names? Number seven is Hawk with about seven minutes. Body and spirit are still far apart. Number six is Audrey with about seven minutes. DJ Cooper loves coffee. So a lot of characters with a fair amount of screen time already. And for the top five of episode two, we have Ben with about seven minutes. Always a pleasure. Number four is all of the dream characters collectively. I just measured them all together because they're who knows? Their presence is so sort of interrelated. They're all on screen collectively for about eight minutes. Number three is Harry with about eight minutes. Where there's no sense, there's no feeling, Andy. Number two is Laura with about 13 minutes. Hey, feel quiet. No, we're arms. My arms went back. And four of those minutes are actual on screen, like the actress appearing on screen, uh, including the cousin as Laura in this case. And of course, number one is Cooper with about 17 minutes. I know who killed Laura Palmer. No, it can wait till morning. Now, let's get back to Laura for a moment. I find the amount of screen time pretty interesting because uh, the previous episode you know, talking about just when she was referenced, not when she's actually physical on screen, there was 10 minutes of screen time for, for people talking, like focusing on Laura. And this time, even if you take away the dream sequence, there's still like nine minutes. So that's surprising because it seemed like she was so much more present in the last episode in a way. But I guess if you think about that whole bottle sequence, that's really all about Laura. So she's, that's kind of part of that time in that sense and other people talking about her cooper's dream figures actually top the supporting cast this is the first time that characters who are not in the pilot for the most part obviously the one-armed man is and uh, i guess bob's face briefly in the mirror but characters who aren't really present in that first part are prominent enough that they are right up there with cooper harry and laura now of course we're taking them collectively adding their screen time together as we did for the episode rankings but it's just interesting to see that they're that prominent this is cooper's harry's laura's and donna's third episode with over five minutes it's bobby's second episode with over five minutes and it's the first time hitting that mark for the dream figures ben audrey hawk uh, lucy and jerry quite a lot of people in this uh to the point where donna's not even in the top 10 characters and she still has over five minutes so a lot of people with prominent screen time in this i think the bottle scene helps where everyone's on screen together for a long time and james actually drops off from the previous episode so he's no he no longer has that uh that prominence in terms of successive episodes with prominent screen time where characters hit five minutes or ten in the case of the pilot and they actually have stayed there uh, we have cooper laurie hara and donna all uh, in uh, having over five minutes in every episode so far this being their third this episode again though ends james run of uh, having two in a row with over five minutes so you know again we throw out these numbers it's kind of fun and goofy in a way to look at these 
characters in this surreal television show, like uh, almost like baseball players, like who's up, who's down. But I do think it's interesting because James, as you will call in the pilot, he was almost like for a while the main suspect there. He was the one that so much the energy was focused on. Him and Donna were basically the B story. And uh, he, he's really at this moment, and you know, we're only two episodes in, obviously the ensemble is going to fluctuate, but his significance in that sense seems to be lowering. He's, he's involved with the Donna stuff, with Donna's romance, right? And Donna gets her own scene with Audrey, uh, so she's kind of touching on different things, but James is like pouring completely into that one storyline at this moment, so be interesting to see where they take that from here. Collectively, the top 10 characters on the show so far, uh, first is Laura, Cooper's right behind her at number two, and gaining, of course, because he has so much screen time each episode. Harry's still number three. Donna's fourth. Bobby is fifth. James is sixth. Number seven is Audrey. So uh, number eight is Ben. So the horns moving up there, really. Number nine is still Mike, although we don't see quite as much of him this episode. And number 10 remains Doc, sturdy and steady, uh, closing out the top 10. So at this point, Audrey has risen three spots uh, to get where she is. And Cooper has risen one, passing Harry. Well, Harry and Mike, of course, are slipping in exchange, and uh, Doc has slipped uh, three full spots. So, uh, again, I just think uh, a lot of these... I think the idea of the domestic sphere of, like, the Haywards and James's kind of tangential relation to that and uh, connecting that sturdy home to the dangerous world of Laura and all of that, that dynamic is shifting a little here. So we're seeing less of that. And speaking of... Um, less of that kind of unstable Laura quality where, you know, this, that, that force that dominated the pilot is lessening a little bit. Uh, although the dream does compensate for that so much, Sarah actually falls out of the top 10 screen time after two episodes in it. So she's really being uh, diminished at this point. And I think with three episodes in, we can say there's a pattern there because, uh, episode one, she I think she only had that one scene, but it was a pretty prominent one. In this one, she's basically second fiddle to Leland in his grieving moment. And meanwhile, Ben makes his first appearance in the top 10, uh, rocketing up four spots to enter. So in some ways, the horns are kind of supplanting the, the uh, Haywards and the Palmers, at least for now. In terms of milestones, Laura and Cooper both cross over into an hour of screen time, a full hour. These are the first two characters to achieve this benchmark. Harry hits 50 minutes. Bobby and James hit 20 minutes. Audrey, Ben, and Mike hit 15. Hawk, Ed, and Lucy reach 10. Cooper's dream figures, Leo, Norman, Eileen, have five minutes. And Mike, uh, if uh, we're talking about the one-armed man, Mike, in the same uh, dream and reality... Uh, he hits one minute, as do Sylvia and Johnny. So not all of the horns are quite uh, <laughs> quite thriving in terms of screen time at this point. Here are the locations and briefly what happens there on this episode. The Blue Pine Lodge, we get Catherine's bedroom and the den with the secret bookcase. So Catherine and Pete talk about Cooper. Pete gives Josie the key. She finds the two books. I think the main sense we're getting from this is more of the family dynamic and also this idea of like hidden compartments in this place. It's kind of a rich location, I think that uh, we're getting a little hint of here. The sheriff's station, we see the conference room and the main entrance. 
and we have the bloody towel in the Albert arrival scene. The Palmer house, we have Leland breaking Laura's picture, the dream, and then later the dream image of Sarah running down the stairs. This is really a new direction for this location and this, this family because suddenly Leland looks like the unstable one. And that's new. And Sarah screaming, what's going on and what's happening in this house? I think is pointing us to the idea that there's more here than just lingering over the space where Laura's death was realized. Because so far, all the time we've spent there, it's all about like Laura's dead, her parents are grieving. And that's still going on here, but in a very unusual way where he's like dancing with her picture and it's broken. And then the blood on it is very eerie and unsettling. So... There's not much to dig into yet here, but I think we're getting a sense that this location is going to be richer than just sort of uh, lingering with Laura's mother uh, crying. And we already get that, actually, I guess, in the previous episode, when she sees Bob. Uh, you know, she has that vision of him. Um, but yeah, her just, what is going on in this house? Great moment, great line there. Okay, moving on. Let's fly through these. Briggs House, nothing there this episode. High School, nothing there for the second episode in a row. So that location is slipping in the moment. Great Northern, we see the dining room, the hallway in room 315. We have Jerry interrupting dinner. Ben and Jerry discussing Laura and the Norwegians. Cooper seeing the note and talking to Hawk. And then later, Cooper going to sleep and having his dreams. So we don't get much of like the hotel milieu this episode. We get Cooper's life there and the Horns' life there. Double R Diner, we have Ed and Norma talking at the counter. And then Audrey talking to Donna and dancing. This remains a great social space on the show. And with the absence of the roadhouse and maybe the primary social space on the show at the moment. The Johnson house, we have Bobby comforting Shelley. The Packard sawmill, nothing uh, for the second episode in a row. So this workplace, school, like, I think that's interesting that both the school and the sawmill have been absent for a couple episodes uh, now. So we're getting, the only social space we're getting is um, like the sort of relaxation and relief of the diner. We're not getting these like functional places in Twin Peaks except for the sheriff station, which is sort of shut off to the general public. Uh, and of course, I guess the Calhoun Memorial Hospital, but we don't, the, we only see that in the dream this episode. We see the Laura and the morgue and Mike and Bob are talking. We don't even know that's the hospital unless we're aware of the alternate ending context and the candles blowing out all at the hospital. Big Ed's house, that's such a cool location, especially the vision we get of it here with the big uh, sort of neon sign over it with the egg, you know, that that's like a cool vision of it. We did not see the, the gas station in uh, episode one. And now we're seeing it here again. So we're returning to that. Uh, we have Ed stepping on the drape runners and Nadine embracing him at night. So we already knew that the house, uh, and sorry, I should mention, we see the exterior of the farm, but the location we're spending time in is actually his house, which it's not quite clear if that's like adjacent to the gas station. When she's yelling at him in the uh, pilot, she's like looking over kind of to her left and he's looking to his right. So it seems like it's next door probably to the gas farm, but I don't think we've ever seen anything yet of like establishing these two locations proximity to each other. But he walks right over there from work, of course, to, to wash off his, or to, to, you know, clean off his hands. You don't want to wash off the grease. And then uh, the train car, we get nothing now for the second episode in a row. So, well, that's not true. I take that back. We get one glimpse inside the train car of the fire walk with me note in Cooper's dream. The Hayward house, the Haywards go to bed, and then James and Donna are cuddling down on the couch. Nothing for the roadhouse, the second episode in a row. For the woods, 
uh, there was we didn't see the woods last episode, but now we're back there. We get a drug deal or some sort of, I guess they're not really dealing drugs at this point. They're settling their money issues. And uh, during the day where they're in a lighter mood, setting up the Tibet method, the bottle game in the woods, we get nothing on the mountaintop. And we get nothing from the uh, road into town that Coop drove in on the first episode and the pilot. And then for episode one locations, nothing from the random romantic spot, nothing from the hardware store, nothing from the Timber Falls Motel, nothing from Jacoby's office. All these cool spots that were introduced last episode now pushed aside. Are we going to see them again? You assume with some of them, but who knows? New locations introduced in this episode. Uh, I guess a, a certain section of Black Lake where Ben and Jerry are riding over to One-Eyed Jack's, a sort of a border crossing, a watery border crossing, I guess you could call it. Uh, One-Eyed Jack's is the big location, seeing Ben and Jerry arrive, visit Blackie and the bartender, and then uh, inside meeting the new girl. Finally, big location this episode, the Red Room. And this is a dream space. Does this have any correspondence to a real space? Is it totally in Cooper's head? Who knows? But as a location, it's a hell of a memorable location here. Put him right down there by the donuts, deputy. Anyone for a warm-up? Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. You bet. You bet. Right Thanks, over here. Lucy. Right. Thank you. Uh-huh. Damn good coffee. And hot. Coffee, pie, and donuts, and uh, the bonus food that we always like to throw in there. We have James thanking the Haywards, saying, that's a great huckleberry pie, Mrs. Hayward. And there's all these plates surrounding them on the table. So after they ate dinner, they went into the living room and sat on the couch and probably talked, you know, pleasant pleasantries amongst each other while, while scooping up and eating this huckleberry pie. And there's like the remnants of it on all these plates. And they ask, oh, do you want us to take those up? And Don says, oh, no, we'll put them in the dishwasher trying to get the parents, you know, get out of here. And uh, there's also some coffee cups on the table with the plates. Got to have that coffee with your pie. And then when we're out in the woods, there's all these donuts stacked on a table, very memorably. But nobody, I don't think, ever eats a donut in this scene. They're all just very busy with their coffee as they're throwing the rocks. And we cut away to Ed. He asks for a cup, raises his hand, and goes, cup of coffee. And he gets it from Norma, but they really just end up talking. He doesn't drink the coffee. He's obviously not there for the coffee. And there's other customers drinking uh, coffee at the table or the counter nearby. And, of course, the pies are always back there in the case whenever we're at the diner. And back at the uh, wood scene, Cooper asks anyone, or uh, Lucy asks anyone for a warm-up. And they, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I I think she's the one who asks that. But she's the one who pours it for sure. So she walks around, standing out there in the woods. It's like they brought Lucy out just for this. Uh, Well, no, because she crosses the names off. So she does that too. But they have her out there. She's pouring big coffee in everybody's cup. Oh, yeah. Cooper drinks his coffee and spits it out, and everyone stops and looks at him, and he goes, damn good coffee, and hot. And then uh, back at the diner, Audrey has, uh, she asks for her coffee, and there's a lot of dialogue about coffee. Don and Doc Hayward and Eileen are, Hayward are drinking coffee at their table with their meal. And uh, as they're sitting there, they, they talk a little bit about coffee. Audrey's tracing the lip of the coffee cup with her fingertip in this sort of playful way, a little bit like she does in the dinner scene with her uh, wine glass. She she uh, asks Donna, do you like coffee? And Donna says, yeah, with cream and sugar. Audrey's response to this is great. Agent Cooper loves coffee. And they kind of laugh, Audrey, and they giggle, and she goes, but Agent Cooper likes his coffee black. For the bonus food, we have the horn dinner. And uh, oddly enough, whenever the characters are eating dinner, and partly it's to blame, you know, when I'm 
I'm watching the Blu-ray, but when I'm referencing this on a computer while I'm recording and stuff, I'm looking at the DVD file. It's just not that clear what any of them are eating. It's like peas and potatoes. I think it's just supposed to be very generic, both at the diner when the Haywards are eating and other characters are eating at their tables and in this scene with the horns. We really only get a clear view of like the wine and, and all of that. The big food thing in this scene, of course, is the brie and butter baguettes. So Jerry, you know, storms in, hey, Uncle Jerry's here, is bothering all of the family members. Sylvia snaps, Benjamin, when Jerry's kind of leaning in to kiss her. And he pulls out this big baguette. He hands one to Ben and they start biting into it and just Ben bites into it sideways, like holding it side to side. And it's just so funny. And we're talking with her mouth full. And goes, oh, this reminds me of Jenny and Jenny down by the river, which make of that what you will. And uh, they're just loving this, these brie and butter baguettes. So we're establishing uh, Jerry as a gourmand. And I suppose Ben, too, is just loving this food and this brings these characters to life in such a memorable way and apparently lynch you know as i said this was directed kind of late in the season and lynch was telling richard bamer how to bite into this bread and he's like sort of like this and doing it sort of conservatively because he was still kind of thinking of ben as kind of a buttoned up character and he's like no 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 more more and getting him to go and really go for it and uh he was even saying later bamer was like as i realized how kind of crazy this you know, this, this character was, it's like, maybe, you know, as they're shooting the one-eyed Jacks and him talking to Jerry out in the hall and all this stuff, like, I wish I'd gone for it even more in that moment, biting into the bread. So it could have been even crazier. And uh, elsewhere we see uh, Donna's got like a half-finished milk on the table with all the huckleberry pie. And then later she's drinking milk as well at the diner while their parents are drinking coffee. So it's got this sort of like I guess it's sort of like a good girl touchstone motif that Lynch is going for with that. And uh, we have the horns drinking at One-Eyed Jack's. Jerry orders, uh, he says, one double scotch on the rocks. And for my brother, a double scotch on the rocks. And so the bartender says, so that's two double scotches on the rocks. And he goes, next stop, rocket science. For smoking in this episode shockingly because there's been a fair amount of smoking on the series so far and because lynch is known as an avid smoker although to be fair at this moment in time he had quit smoking i think 17 years earlier when he got into transcendental meditation lynch actually does not take up smoking again until shooting the twin peaks feature film and then it becomes a habit again for the rest of his his life the only character we see smoking though is Leo in a flashback from an episode that Lynch didn't shoot. So that's odd and interesting. Uh, there's one other thing, uh, Jerry with the cigar in his hand, of course. But he's not smoking it, but he you can see that in his as, as sort of a prop that he's basically using there. That's it for this episode. Tomorrow we wrap up this week of coverage for uh, this Lynch classic with uh, my previous writing on the subject and also what critics and fans said at the time and later. And there's a lot of material to discuss here. So this will probably be even a little longer episode than usual because I'm combining the critical and fan reactions uh, with my own past pieces, reading those on here uh, with lots of links in the show notes for further exploration. So I'll see you then. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And uh, if you really want to support this work, become a patron at patreon.com slash lost in the movies. <laughs>